Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Good morning, church. It is good to see you all here today. My name is Damian Thompson. I'm on staff here at North Shore, and I get the privilege of just getting to spend a few minutes, a few moments with you guys today. Um, as you just saw there in our uh, little video right there, we're, we're taking a journey over the last several weeks of taking a look at our vision, taking a look at our mission, um, reminding ourselves of not just who we are, but what we are purposed to do. And what's good about this is that it centers us in a direction uh, that we all can pull in, that pulls us towards Jesus. And maybe for many of you, if you're like me, it recenters you. You know, it, it's a reminder. It's a, hey, let's get back to what matters. And that's what we've been doing for the last several weeks. Um, and so if you've been around, you, hopefully you've been blessed because Pastor Scott's walked us through um, our vision to remind us that, that North Shore's vision is to see our communities changed uh, through the hope in Jesus one person at a time. And then he's been walking us through our, our, our mission statements. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he talked about what does it mean to, to passionately pursue Jesus. And then last week, he spent time walking us through what does it mean to radically love one another. Good stuff. If you missed it, uh, please go, go to our, our website. Go to our app. You can go back and listen. Um, and if you know of somebody that, that met those messages could bless, send it to them. Send them a link to it. Get, let's, let's, just, let's, let's share the blessing, all right? Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it mean to compassionately serve our neighbor, to compassionately serve our neighbor. And we're going to be spending the majority of our time looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, what, here's what's great about this story. And I was going to go in a different direction, but I'm going to give Pastor Scott credit on this. He said, no, let's, let's stick with the stories that people know. Because then there's not a lot of, well, I wonder what was going on here. So when I say the Good Samaritan, the vast majority of us know this story. But if you're hearing that title for the first time and you're going, who's the Good Samaritan? I am so excited for you. Y'all got some good stuff coming for you today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We got ushers coming down the aisles right now, and they will get a Bible in your hand in a matter of seconds. But if you're digitally prone, go ahead and just get your, get your Bible at, out, app out. We're going to be in the ESV, that is the English Standard Version. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, okay? Uh, we're just going to read this story together. Um, again, for those of you that, you know, you know this story, read along with me. And the reason why I encourage you to do that is this is something I've learned about God's Word, especially when it comes to the familiar stuff. Uh, we know how a, a certain passage will start. We know what happens in the middle. And we know how it ends. But every time you go back, and this is what I trust, the Holy Spirit will lift something new up to you for the first time. I'm going to share with you later on what my I didn't see that before moment was. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit has that for some of you today. All right, here we go. Starting in verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. And the hymn is Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right, church. We're going to break this down. We're just going to start this out by just kind of leaping into this understanding, this concept of compassion. All right. So our first point is this. This is a simple question. What is compassion? Dictionary.com says and defines it as such, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Now, I've read, you know, dictionary definitions before, and it's like it'll get close to and get some of the technical, but it doesn't get some of the nuance. I have to admit, dictionary.com did pretty good right here. They did all right. They kind of held down, held it down. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. See, in the Gospels, we find Jesus showing compassion in some very distinct moments, okay? One of those was in Matthew chapter 9 when he's got a multitude of people and he looks upon them and he actually describes them as being uh, like looking like sheep without a shepherd. He actually uses these words. He says, they look harassed and helpless. And Jesus had compassion for them. Another story is when he came across the 4,000 who had been with him for several days and they hadn't eaten. And he knew that they were hungry and he had compassion for them. Another one is in Mark chapter 9 when he, he comes across a, a young boy who is possessed by a demonic spirit. And the father, the, his father comes to him and says, Jesus, could you do something, please? And Jesus had compassion. Another one is when Jesus and his disciples actually come across a funeral procession. And there's a widow who has lost her last son. And Jesus had compassion. And, and raised him from the dead. But then Jesus shows and tells of compassion in a story form. One of those was what Pastor Scott talked about last week. It was the prodigal son. 
And when he's on his way home, the father looks out, sees his son coming. And the first thing that he says is, it says that he had compassion and he ran to his son. The other story is the one that we're looking at today, the good Samaritan. Now, the word compassion, let me see if I can get this right. In the Greek, in the Greek it is this word. It is splachnizomai. Okay? I, I like getting that in there. There's just something out there that's fun to say. Splachnizomai. And it, it basically, it means to have pity, to have compassion. But this is important, church. The word is derived from the root word splachnon, okay? And splachnon means affection in the inward parts. Now, when we're talking about the inward parts, it actually is very specific. Is that it's actually talking about your guts. It's talking about your bowels. I can't believe I just said the word bowels right there, but that's actually what they're referring to. Because church, if you stop and think about it, if anything is moving through this part of your body, you feel it, okay? Whether that's good or whether that's not so good, you feel it, okay? You don't get to just ignore it, okay? It's there, something's happening, and it has your attention. And so what this word means is that there is this deep feeling, this deep thing that is happening inside here. And church, I have to tell you, it is interesting the correlation between our guts and us as a church. And it's this, when we're moving like we're supposed to, it's a good thing. But when we're not moving, that's a bad thing right there, okay? All right, if you're young and going, I don't know what that means. As my mama would say, keep living. You're going to find out. But in our journey today, we're focusing on a Samaritan who did something extraordinary. In verse 33, this is what it says. It says, the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion appears to be that, this, this thing that begins a catalytic moment. Everything up to that point had been ordinary. And here's what I mean. It appears that this had been a road that he traveled before. Okay, He saw the victim just like the priest did, just like the Levite did. But it says that he had compassion. And the exact same Greek word that is used for the Samaritan's response is the exact word that is used over and over again when Jesus shows compassion. Splachnizomai. Okay? It's a deep inward feeling. Now, how do we know that the Samaritan had compassion? Well, Jesus begins to describe exactly what the Samaritan did. But before we jump into that, I have a question. And, and, and it's, it's, an, it's an intentional question, and I hope it produces just a little bit of tension for us today. Not a lot, but just a little. And the question is this. Is biblical compassion reasonable? Is biblical compassion reasonable? Now, I'm not going to answer that right now. We're going to, we're going to come back to that in, in just a few minutes. But I want us to just sit with that for just a little bit. Is biblical compassion reasonable? Well, church, we're going to move on to our second point. I promise I will come back to that question. 
Our second point is this. Who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Remember, this was the big question that the lawyer asked Jesus. But it was a trick question. He didn't really want an answer. He was looking to stump Jesus and, and, and just get himself clear of, of the situation. You know, it kind of reminds me, this is where I'm going to date myself a little bit. See, before this guy named Jimmy Fallon was hosting this thing called The Tonight Show, see, and even before this dude named Jay Leno he was hosting it, there was a cat named Johnny Carson that actually hell, he hosted The Tonight Show. And he had this amazing band, and he did this thing called Stump the Band. And about once every two, three, you know, months, Johnny would get up in the, in the audience, and here's all the audience had to do. They had to come up with the name of a song and the artist who did it, and the band had to figure out how the song went. Now, here's the deal. If the band couldn't figure it out, then that audience member won a gift, all right? I tell you this, but Johnny didn't give away a whole lot of gifts because that band seemed to know everything. But the whole purpose of that experience was to stump that band. And the whole purpose of the lawyer's question was to stump Jesus. So Jesus went along with him, but took him someplace he didn't expect to go. Now, dictionary.com defines for us what is a neighbor. I want you to listen to this. A neighbor is a person who lives near another. Makes sense. A person or thing that is near another. Again, makes sense. But I love this last one. One's fellow human being. That's dictionary.com. They're kind of getting down with it a little bit, aren't they? Man, come on. The culture, church, the culture that led up to Jesus' ministry was riddled with religious minutiae. From the time of Moses and the Ten Commandments all the way up to the time of Jesus' birth, you had Ten Commandments that somehow morphed, evolved, and developed their way all the way to 613 commandments and rules and regulations. I don't know how you get from 10 to 613, but you had these religious leaders that were professionals at it. But amazing, with 613 of these now present, they still weren't able to settle this question. Who is my neighbor? And that's the reason why the lawyer asked it. But if we can be honest, church, I think we've settled that question. I, I really do. I think if somebody asked us, well, who is my neighbor? I, I think we know how to answer that. I think we understand who it is. Our neighbor is who lives near us, who's next door, who's across the street, who's three houses down. We know that our neighbor is the, the people that we're in proximity with, okay? I mean, it's like, you know, you see a guy and his car breaks down in the middle of the street. You know what you do? You hop out your car, you run over. Well, you park your car first. Then you hop out, you go over, and you help him push his car out of the street to get him out of danger. We also know that our neighbor is, are the ones that we see and we can simply acknowledge the image of God in them, the imago Dei in them. So we know who our neighbor is. But see, that wasn't the real issue then, and it's not the real issue now. It's not about knowing who our neighbor is. It's about what kind of neighbor are we. 
And then Jesus asks a question that tells us all exactly what type of neighbor that we are called to be. In verse 36, Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer from the lawyer, the one who showed mercy. So I have a second tension question for us this morning. In that context of Jesus now just kind of just pulling open, what is a neighbor? All right, he just, so that question that got answered earlier, well, here it is. I'm just going to put it on out there. Here's what a neighbor is. So in that context, my question is this. Is, is the biblical definition of being a neighbor, is it reasonable? Is it reasonable? I promise we're going to get back to that one too. I promise. Last point is this. Church, what's the difference between compassion that is felt and compassion that is shown. What is the difference between compassion that is felt and compassion that is shown? Is it important for compassion to be seen? Can, can our, can, can my, can your compassion be seen? Well, yes, it can. How? By just simply following the words of Jesus that he says in verse 37, five words, you go and do likewise. Five words. There it was. What I just described, you go and do it. Likewise. Now, here's where I believe that the enemy has just rolled up his sleeves and he's about to get to work on us right now because the enemy wants to convince us that the things that Jesus calls us to aren't reasonable and so now the process begins in our heads are we going to lean into what Jesus has called us to or are we going to begin to step back from And you might be finding yourself today in that challenge of, Damien, I hear you, but I don't really understand what it is that Jesus is calling me to do. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and back up. Let's just revisit one last time. In verse 34, here's what he said that the Samaritan did. He said, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and took, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, you remember I told you that I was going to go ahead and share with you when I had my aha moment, all right? Here's the deal. In my head, as many times as I've read this story and known it, it was very clear to me that the Samaritan took the man who's half dead, took him to the inn, paid the innkeeper, you take care of him, and when I come back, I'll go ahead and I'll make up the difference, but that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says he took him to the inn and he took care of him. He didn't give any money to the innkeeper until the next day. 
Something tells me that that Samaritan needed, needed to stay with that man to keep him alive. Remember, he was beaten and left for half dead. So he stays with him that entire night. And then the next day, he gives the innkeeper some money and says, I'll be back to make up the difference for anything else you've had to pay for him. Church, it's very clear to us that the Samaritan didn't just feel. He went and he did. He didn't just feel. Because I want us to get this because I think this is important. Compassion that is only felt is vulnerable to fear. But compassion that is shown is, produces evidence through action. See, compassion that stays in the feel stage, it's kind of vulnerable to this thing that goes on here. Because, see, what happens here can walk us away from what compassion can help us and empower us to go do. See, it, it, it's one of the things, and this was something that kind of came to the surface for me. Compassion is one of those things that sounds like it should be one of the fruits of the Spirit. You start to think about it. Compassion, yeah, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. No, it's not. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I missed one. I missed one, but the Lord is not going to give it back to me right now. Okay, so, but compassion is not one of them. So where does compassion come from? I believe it is the Holy Spirit, the Jesus in us that moves us, that gets that splachnizomai going. And when we see what needs to be done, we just go and we just do. And we become active hands and feet of Jesus in a moment as opposed to just having a feeling that we're processing. Because this can happen all day long, but if it just stays here, Nothing changes. No one's suffering is alleviated. Nothing is extraordinary. Because that Samaritan was just a Samaritan until he went and he did. And then he became the good Samaritan. So let me go back now and address those two questions that I asked. I told you I promised I'd come back. Is biblical compassion reasonable? Absolutely not. By, by, by the definition of what Jesus just showed us? No, it's not. Is the biblical definition of being a neighbor reasonable based upon what Jesus just showed us? Uh-uh, no. But Jesus didn't live a sinless life, die on a cross, and was raised from the grave in three days for you and I to live reasonable lives. He did this so that you and I could begin to step out of our comfort, out of what is reasonable, and step into what is extraordinary, what is amazing, what is some of us might even consider impossible, because we never saw ourselves doing that. And yet with Jesus, hallelujah, with Jesus, we can do all things. Church, 
I want to share with you that here at North Shore, we choose to obediently help Jesus change this world one person at a time. And by compassionately serving our neighbors, we commit to the following. This is our, this is going to be our, um, our culture statement, okay? This is going to be our culture statement. As an extension of God's heart, hands, and feet, we put his love in action by serving our neighbors. We will humbly steward our God-given resources of time, talents, and treasures in sacrificial generosity, seeing and meeting the needs in our church, our community, and our world. That's what we have committed to do. So when you hear that phrase, compassionately serving our neighbor, and you wonder, well, what does that mean for us? There it is. But here it is. But, but you need to understand, while that is a statement, it's just words. If we aren't willing to step into responding to the compassion that the Holy Spirit stirs in us, then what's going to change? How will culture be created? Well, guess what? When we compassionately serve our neighbors, culture is quick behind because it's a we thing that we do. And folks who come through our doors will go, well, what is this church about? You shouldn't have to tell them a whole lot. Just let them watch you. Just let them see us do our thing. And I'm excited when we begin to figure out what our thing is and we start going and we start doing. Mm. So church, what are, what are my next steps? Okay? So I have three I just want to share with you today. The first one is this. Reduce the distance. Okay? Reduce the distance. How can you know what a neighbor needs if, if, you're, if, you're, a distance, if you're a long distance away? I, I can just go ahead and share this with you. Just this last week, I was at the Totem uh, the restaurant over there on Evergreen, and something was going on at that Chevron down by Rucker and 41st. I don't know exactly what it was that was happening, but there were like eight uh, patrol cars there. There were two ambulances, and they even cut off uh, all the, the northbound uh, traffic going up Rucker. And I thought, that's not good. But I was too far away to see what was happening. I knew something was going on. You know, people from the restaurant were sticking their heads out. You know, it's like, wow, what is that going on? I don't know because we were too far away. If we wanted to know, what should we have done? Gone down there. That's right. Because the closer you are, the closer, closer you get to understanding. What is the need? What is happening first? And then what is the need? The second one is this for a next step. Be prepared. And I'm not talking about Boy Scout be prepared. I'm, I'm talking about something different. Being prepared can simply mean being present in your normal surroundings. So in other words, you don't need to go look for. It's just having a different radar for where you're at. And because church, our posture, our posture means everything. We need a biblically-centered posture in order to remain prepared to receive what the Holy Spirit would have us do. And you say, well, well, well Damien, what's a biblically-centered posture? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
What did he do? How did he do it? Who did he do it with? Who did he do it for? Be prepared. And and listen, you understand, being prepared doesn't mean you have all the answers. That's the beauty of being in community. We have people out there in doing ministry, doing stuff, and you're wondering, wow, I wonder what's going on over on Casino Road. Well, why don't you go ask Tyrone McMorris? He'll tell you. I wonder what's happening, you know, with, with the homeless. I see it, and I know it's an issue that's going on. Give the gospel mission a call. They'll let you know what you could do. I know that there's people I see that are hungry. How can I help them? Get in touch with the Lord's little cooker. As a matter of fact, right now, they are in need of all things, men's clothing, uh, gloves, socks, underwear, you name it, they need it right now. Because everything that they've had that they used to have some stores of, it's gone. It's been all given away. Hallelujah. Let's be prepared to do something amazing. Not because we're that good, but because Jesus is prepared to use us. He's just waiting for us to say yes. And finally this, and maybe this should have been the first thing. Let's get on our knees. Let's get on our knees. How is it that Jesus started every single day of his ministry in prayer with his father. And we struggle to find a few minutes a week to come together and to pray. I don't know personally who this brother is. I have to thank Nancy Brewer because she brought this this quote to me, and I want to share it with you today. The brother's name is David Bentley Taylor. And this is what he wrote about prayer. He said, the power of prayer cannot be diminished by distance. It is not limited by age, infirmity, political changes, or restrictions. The power of prayer in the life of an obedient Christian can only be undermined by neglect. Church, at this time... I want to invite our prayer team to, to come on up. and We're, we're going to have folks here that are going to be on both sides so we can kind of reduce the distance of how far you need to go to pray with somebody. So prayer team, if you're here, go ahead and start making your way over. Church, I want to just encourage you to consider that we've been called to do something We can't do on our own. We cannot do by our own power. We've been called to compassionately serve our neighbors. The original command that we were given is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we love us a whole lot of me. I love me a whole lot of me. I know what I like to eat. I know where I like to go. I I like to take my naps. I like to watch my football. I like to, I know this about me what if we began to learn how to do that in someone else's life I want to share this with you 
because it was a very humbling experience for me. This past Wednesday, I decided I wanted a burrito. And I went down to Taco Del Mar in downtown Everett because I've known those folks that have owned that store for a long time. And I just wanted to go down and I wanted to have a burrito. And as I'm sitting there eating, a lady comes down the street. And I can tell by the way that she is walking, it was pretty feebly, she was not healthy. I could see that she had dried blood in her nose, which means she probably was suffering from some nosebleeds. Who knows what else was going on with her. But she came over to the car that was next to me to ask a lady for some money. That lady put her car in reverse and got out of her parking spot as quick as she could. And then she made her way over to me. And she said, excuse me, do you have any money so that I could get something to eat and so I could buy some meds? And I said, I can get you something to eat. She said, you don't have any money for for my meds? I said, I can get you something to eat. Is that okay? Now, I want you to understand, I didn't get the response that I was looking for. She said, yeah, fine. And turned around and started walking into the restaurant. Now, I begin to process in that moment that we, we don't get to see or understand how grateful was the man who was left for half dead to the Samaritan who saved his life. We're just called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we go into the restaurant, and we get the burrito for her. And I went to go pay, and the folks behind the counter said, no, you just go ahead and take that and give it to her. Now, what made that moment pretty hard for me is I'd been in that store just a couple months ago, and I remember walking in, and the wife was in tears because she wasn't sure if they were going to make it much longer because this pandemic's been hard. But in that moment, I understood that compassion is powerful in the hands of God. And so I walked over, and I handed the food to the lady, and I said, so this is for you. It's free from these folks. And her response was, yeah, whatever. And she walked out the door. But I turned around to that husband and wife, and I said, thank you. God bless you. Now, I don't know what happens from there. But all I know is in that moment, compassion was present. The rest of what goes on from there, we'll leave that to Jesus. His ways aren't our ways, that kind of thing. But maybe church for us, it begins in those simple moments. Those simple moments of just, you see, and you go, and you do. So, online family, we're not going to be doing a thing at the end where I normally get a moment to talk with you. But I want you to know where you are right now. I am trusting that the Holy Spirit is present with you. And walking you through this exact same tension of what does this mean for me to compassionately serve? I want to encourage you, reduce the distance. Be prepared. Get on your knees. And we're going to do this all together as a family. We're not doing a closing song this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray. And then I want to invite you from the space that you're in right now, if you know that you need to pray about this and want someone to pray with you, our prayer partners are available here for you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, 
It is in your name we come to you and we humbly ask you, would you move on us? Would you not only stir our inward parts, Lord, would you give us the simple faith and courage that it takes to just engage? Maybe we're in a place right now, Lord, where we don't, we, we don't know if we're ready to do what the Samaritan was ready to do. We don't know if we have oil and wine ready to bound up wounds and there's just all of these questions. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that we will not, that we will not be bound and chained by our questions or by our uncertainty, but that we will just simply lean in and trust you, Jesus. That you will give us eyes to see and we will go and we will do. And we will be sacrificial givers of our time, of our talents, of our treasures. Because we intentionally choose you, Jesus, just as you intentionally chose us when you gave your life on a cross for our sin. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your call on our lives because we know it means that your promise of having begun a good work in us, that you would be the one faithful to complete it. So Jesus, here we are. Would you use us? Would you show us what it means to, be compa to compassionately serve our neighbor and then lead us into getting busy and getting it done and doing something in your name? And we ask all this. And we all said, amen. God bless you all, and we look forward to seeing you next time.